Hello and welcome to Level Up and Friends, uh, the podcast where those of us from the comic book and video game store Level Up Entertainment get together each week with some friends and uh, talk about a subject that we're passionate about. This week we're uh, going back to the old Star Trek well. Um, we're going to be talking about our top five TNG episodes, um, and that's top five for each uh, me and my guests. So we're going to have like a, a kind of a top 15, as it were. Um, I'll say right off the bat, this isn't going to be like a definitive top 15 there's still way more episodes i know uh we all enjoy and can bring up so like i always say we'll circle back to topics at another point um so this is going to definitely be one i think people are going to be have some opinions on uh we'll come back and, and discuss other episodes in the future but i'm your host scott and joining me this week i've got ellie hello and i've got mike greetings humans yes um my know ellie from our uh level up 13th anniversary retrospective she used to work with us at the store but mike this is your first time on the podcast so i'm gonna start this part with you um i know from uh you've been coming into comic book stores i've been working at for a long time so we've gotten to know uh each other probably through star trek a little bit um talk us a little bit about how you got into the series uh as if you don't mind well that's interesting because i remember seeing Star, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope for the first time in theaters with my grandfather when my age was still in single digits. You know, I remember seeing Doctor Who for the first time with Tom Baker and the robot, but I don't have any conscious memory of a time before Star Trek was in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in 1971, so syndication had become a thing by that time. And Star Trek, you know, Star Trek was on between the New York and Philadelphia UHF stations, I'm pretty sure you could find it on at least once every day between the four different channels. Uh, and on the weekends, it, it would be, it's, it's just something that was always there. Uh, my mother used to watch it when she got married, so she has fond memories of it. She always had it on, you know, and I remember, you know, I had, had the Mego action figures of, you know, Kirk and Spock and the Gorn, which was just the lizard from Spider-Man repainted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, the, the snap type model kits or the Enterprise, the Klingon cruiser and the bird of prey. It's like, it's just something that was always there. Uh, I was, you know, uh, so it's, so by the time when, you know, uh, when the movies had started coming out, I'm in high school and I guess I had, uh, you know, gotten more heavily back into it as opposed to just being, this is just a thing I watched when I was a kid. Okay. Okay. Now this is starting to get some new stuff and this is getting interesting. So when next generation started, what was it? I guess my sophomore year in high school. Mm-hmm. It's like this. This became something to get head heavily back into, as opposed to just sort of like, oh, oh, it's on in syndication. You know, uh, here's like the old sixty series on in syndication. If I'm flipping channels, well, I guess I'll stop here then. You know, as opposed yeah. to became more of a okay. Now, now I actually want to follow this from week to week. Yeah, I also don't remember a time when Star Trek was at least some minor influence in my life because one of of the earliest things I had when I was a kid was like a kid's play desk and I had a bumper sticker on it, which I didn't put there, but someone did that said, beat me up, Scotty, I think because, you know, Scotty and Scott. Um, So because of that, I've always kind of, it's always kind of been in my life, but like, yeah, the original series was always in syndication. Um, When I was a kid, TNG and Deep Space Nine and stuff were were new. Um, Well, like they were still on, you know, regularly at, at, as a kid. Um, but I didn't start getting into Star Trek until I was an adult. Um, it was actually once Netflix, when it was still 
before it was streaming, it was still just DVDs. They got all of Star Trek on there. I was like, I was like, I'm going to make an effort to watch all of this. And then waiting a week between discs of EOS season one, I was like, man, this show is boring. Um, But I eventually pushed through and I I fell in love with it. Um, But Ellie, uh, you're uh, the most recent into this uh, franchise of the three of us. Um, In fact, when we used to work together, you weren't into it at all. So this is a totally new experience talking to you about this series. Uh, Please tell me, how did you get into it? um, Well, I remember like a kid and I was born in 92 and I remember watching like Hercules Xena and like Star Trek would be on a lot. And um, my brother was really into sci-fi. So we would go to the video store and get sci-fi movies. And I remember watching um, Nemesis, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is not the best, but it's so fun to watch. Um, And when Netflix came out with the full series, uh well i guess it's always been there but i never really took a dive but i decided to do it and i have never looked back Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i'm i've always been a big sci-fi fan but i remember greg and you being like you gotta watch it (laughs) um and i know i talked to you before but like i'm a huge huge fan of deep space nine but Mm -hmm. of course i didn't get there without watching um next gen first um so yeah, the past couple of years, I've just been like a huge fanatic. I tell people to watch it. I watch it all the time. Like some people leave like The Office or Parks and Rec on. I have Star Trek on. <laughs> oh, it's just as good. I I also do Office and Parks and Rec as just being on. So it's yeah. all, all quality material here. Um, yeah. But, you know, with that, you guys want to jump into this? Um, I'll yeah. say up front for the listeners and watchers at home, uh, we decided not to put them in some sort of numerical listing uh, because... You like different episodes for different reasons. How do you compare certain ones? So we're going to go down them uh, in broadcast order. Um, and then each of us picked five, our, you know, our five favorites we wanted to talk about. So we're each one of us will introduce them as we go. Um, and with the earliest episode we picked uh, is uh, Mike picked out. So Mike, why don't you take us away here? Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with Q Who from season two. Uh, this is the first appearance of the Borg. And... I'm going to make the the possibly controversial statement that I don't think the Borg are ever scarier than they are in this. I mean, yes, they're they're best of both worlds. They're pretty menacing. But the whole point of like, ah, well, we can find a way to stop them kind of undercuts that invincibility finally at the end. And it's sort of like in this, they're just a force of nature. They just don't care enough to talk to you i mean they you know they don't even get to say the the trademark you will be assimilated it's just we've met we've analyzed your defenses you can't stop us try and you'll be punished and just they don't say another word to our crew for the rest of it um yeah i i i I totally agree with you uh in that i always say the bork has diminishing returns yes and they're kind of like the xenomorphs from aliens they're really scary when you don't understand how they work because they're so alien and foreign to how how we think and operate but the more you get to know them it's like all right i i get it now and like it just takes all the teeth out of it um and also this is this is this is a q episode so i also like it um what's interesting about this one is how much is being set up in it and what's equally interesting is how much or in some cases how little is picked up on later uh first obviously the borg are set up uh, and they had been setting them up since uh 
since the neutral zone because <coughs> pardon they mentioned they have the uh the one line about oh this planet where we've been flung halfway across the galaxy to has big patches where the cities were just ripped out of the surface like those colonies along the neutral zone that we were wondering about the end of last season mm -hmm. so the borg are you know are definitely set up uh they set up they introduce a new character here ensign sonia gomez uh played by licia naff who was probably better known and sadly will probably always be best known as the three the mutant prostitute with three breasts and total recall um, there, there's worse things to be known for yeah I'd rather be known as that than the guy who spilled coffee on Picard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting that she was being set up to be a recurring character. There's even, uh, it's even said that she was set up to be like a romantic interest for Jordy, which seems kind of weird to me uh, that it's like, oh yeah, new girl, just fresh out of the Academy. Yeah. Let me put the moves on you. You know, yeah. Um, Jordy, in general, his <laughs> behavior with like women has just been really weird. It has it, it has not aged super well. It's a just it was general. a different time. I go back to watch the yeah. original series; it's <laughs> extremely sexist. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's just one of those things. Like, yeah, that's the power dynamics in play there. I mean, we can get into that. obviously it never became a thing because uh, she, yeah. she I guess she kind kind of morphed into Barkley. You know, where you have kind of more and more bumbling lower uh, crewmen. You know, I like, it's an interesting uh, character dynamic to set up. The idea that she's just like this enthusiastic, starry-eyed idealist, wants to change the universe, but just can't stop from chipping over her own shadow. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be fun. They just never really did anything with it. And I was kind of reading that the actress herself has said that if they were setting me, uh, Jordy, you know, uh, her and, and Jordy to be a couple it's like nobody told either of them anything about it while they were filming it yeah uh, uh, one of the other interesting things it sets up though also though just before I'm moving on from from Gomez even though she doesn't appear in any in any other episodes except this one and the following one Samaritan Snare she's what I like to call an are you going to eat that character it's like when you know, you're at a you're at a big meal at like say at Thanksgiving, and you've finished all your mashed potatoes because that's your favorite, and you see your cousin next to you just hasn't touched theirs. And you look at him and say, "Are are you going to eat that? Because if you don't want it, I will." Uh, Sonia Gomez, you know, has shown like the people the the people who write the spinoff books and the comics and the games. There's she's like a recurring like second in command of the starship in the Starfleet Corps of Engineers novel series that just goes on for books and books and books. And she's apparently the head of Starfleet engineering by the time they get to the 25th century in the Star Trek online game. Uh, and I will be, and I, we, I'll be getting this idea of, are you going to eat that characters later on? But one of the other, but moving on from that, one of the other things this episode sets up that I'm really sad doesn't get picked up on is Q and Guinan. It suggests that they have some kind of history, and they're suggesting, you know, because especially when, you know, she's having, when uh, at the beginning of the episode, when we first hear, she's just standing in tense forward, you know, having, I'm sensing a great disturbance in the force, you know. And then when Q finally shows up, it's like she pops up from behind the bar doing the Steve Ditko fingers, like Doctor Strange, ready to, you know, whip out the crimson bands of Sidorak on him. Mm -hmm. You know, it implies that she, you know, before, before they had firmly established that. 
no, she's just an alien refugee who happened to be in the Matrix, and, or the Nexus, rather. And that's why she has visions of the future. Before, they were implying that, no, she's she might be some kind of weird, crazy, powerful cosmic entity like you. And I'm kind of sad that they never developed that, you know, went, went in on that further. Yeah, it's real. That scene is really weird with mm -hmm. the hindsight of having like watched the rest of, of where the characters wind up going. Is it definitely set up like because they were obviously bringing back Q. This is, I think, what his third episode. Third, yeah. Yeah. So they, they were obviously making him to be a recurring uh, character. And they're, I guess they're trying to set up some sort of rivalry, maybe. I don't know. It's just well, the closest they yeah. come to it is like the next time Q shows up where he's not only been cast out of by the other Q. They've stripped him of his powers too and made him mortal. Guinan, uh, mm. you know, jabs him with a fork to make sure that he is in fact flesh and blood, and says, "Well, yeah. okay, I'm satisfied. Yeah, yeah, he's not faking." But that's that's as far as it goes. But yeah, no, that's this very quality pick. Uh, one of one of my potential alternates uh, for my top my my top five here. Uh, so I'm glad you picked Q Hill. Um, and one last little bit regarding Q himself. When we first uh, see him. He's, you know, uh, finger snap Picard off the, you know, away from the Enterprise onto this little shuttle in the middle of nowhere. And Picard says to him, now you, you, you promised, you, you agreed after our last, you know, after our last encounter that you wouldn't bother my ship anymore. And he's like, I'm not bothering your ship. Your ship's nowhere near here. We're out here in the middle of nowhere on a shuttlecraft, not your ship. And I'm like, as a dungeon master, yeah. that is some next level, that is some quality rules lawyering right there. Yeah. Um. With filming of that episode, I I don't know why, but um, I just the part with the baby always is just so creepy to me. With having like the you know how they really like it was a real baby. Mm. Oh yeah, they put <laughs> all the prosthetics on it. Yeah, Wiki implants on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was adorable. And if I ever a child, <laughs> I feel like yes. that'd be a great Halloween costume. <laughs> I'm sure you can go on Etsy and people make like little knit like you know yeah. things you can put over their face and stuff. Yeah. Um, but with that, Ellie, you want to take us off? The next one is yours. Yes. Okay. Who, who watches the watchers is such a good episode, like philosophically. Um, so <coughs> basically the, what was it? The Federation, um, like this, like anthropo anthropological team is like watching over this, like, um, civilization on what was it mon montauk three talk talk thank you and um one of the and they're like a vulcan what's that Mintake is one of the stars in orion's belt so it's a real star that we can actually point to in the sky and say there that's where this is happening that's awesome yeah. um and basically there's like an explosion in like their little holographic lab that's hidden so then it becomes exposed and the Enterprise um, answers in time and then goes to save them. But unfortunately, one of the <laughs> civilians sees them um, and then it goes on from there. So I really like um, basically this is the episode where Picard becomes their god. That's <laughs> basically what it is. Um, so they're exposed for their technology and they think, of course, it's like, you know, they're living in mud. Ellie seems to have frozen. Can you, I guess, while we're waiting for her to uh, to return, I, I will point out that this episode uh, also has like the second appearance of what is the real Picard maneuver, i.e. Oh, the shirt tuck. 
No, no, no. The real Picard maneuver of taking a woman from a pre-warp civilization, bringing them up to the Enterprise and showing them their planet out one of the the, uh, the big windows. Well, yeah. That's... It's like it's like his Batman telling him their secret identity move. Yeah, it's it's like to in the immortal words of Professor Doofenshmirtz, you know, if I had a nickel for every time that hap- that you know that happened, it's a, well, I'd only have about like twenty five cents. But it's weird that happens more than once. You know? Yeah. Okay, I can hear you now. All right. That, sorry about that. Okay. Sorry. I guess you must switch gonna... switch over your phone. Yeah, I'm just gonna use my phone. Um. But you guys can continue what you're talking about, and I'll fill in later. Oh, I think you were still describing the episode, right? Yeah, I mean, the story of the Overseers, you know? Like, um, I think, I just loved how conflicted Picard was in this episode, and how, like, there was, like, a line he had about, like, sabotaging their like had not asked their belief to like a god and um i i just loved how like picard was so like mindful of his impact um and how uncomfortable he was <laughs> which in, the, in wonderful um, to the one professor yeah, that, who's telling basically telling him the winston zedmore doc, doctrine if someone asks you if you're a god you say yes yeah Hey, I'm gonna say don't worry about um video. I think that might be draining too much of your internet. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, audio we're... audio only is fine. Um okay. all right. So again, I'll edit this little bit out or for explaining technical stuff. But yeah, we can go on to that. Um but yeah, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember this one as much. I think I might be thinking the episode where Riker goes undercover as an alien in a pre-warp civilization. That's the episode right after, actually. That one. That one's called First Contact. First Contact. Yeah. Yeah. Not to be uh, confused with the movie First Contact. <laughs> Which is also another one where Picard takes a woman from a pre-warp civilization and takes her up onto the Enterprise and shows her her planet through one of the big windows. Except that time it's also our planet. Um, mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what happens yeah. in the first contact episode where Rikers, you know, got the the mitt, the rubber mittens on. Yeah, and uh, Lilith from Frasier wants to have sex with him for no reason. That was the most ridiculous scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're getting off topic again. Um, so yeah, again, it's weird that happens so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, Mike, I know you picked the next episode. I know Ellie also wanted to pick it. Um, so if you want to introduce us to it, we can talk about this one. Okay, uh, let me make sure I'm on the right one here. Up next is The Defector from season three. Yeah. And this one is basically the Cuban Missile Crisis with Romulans. Uh, it's the one where a, a Romulan, you know, the Enterprise picks up a, uh, you know, a Romulan scout ship, you know, running at top speed out of the neutral zone, Klingon, war- you know, not Kling- Romulan warbird behind it. You know, shooting at it. There's a def- you know, defector claims to be a low-level file clerk. He says, "Look, I've got, I've got uh, information. I need to get to Picard. They they have a base on this planet right uh, on the edge of the neutral zone. It's there. That's hidden. They're ready to launch a fleet that will attack like 20 different planets in you know in Federation space. They're ready to start another war. And I need you to come there and help me. You know, destroy destroy the base to help me stop it. And there's they spend a lot of this episode." 
with a lot of like that very tension building cold warish kind of like well is he telling the truth is he lying is he a spy he doesn't really you know well the 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 low level file clerk uh lieutenant sub lieutenant uh Sital is you know is insisting it's like no i i don't want to tell you you know about you know these troop movements over there we, you don't need to know that you just need to know the base is here and you need to come destroy it just trust me to do this and it's interesting, you know, again, it's interesting because this kind of ties back to the first appearance of the Romulans in Balance of Terror back in the, the original series in the 60s. Now, both the Klingons and the Romulans have always been stand-ins for the communist bloc in the Cold War, but where the Klingons have always been the conquerors and the invaders and the oppressors and are, were generally just kind of fungible, interchangeable warmongers. The Romulans were more like the plotters and the schemers and the espionage experts. And the interesting thing about that is because even from their very first opinion appearance, it's not that they were like this monolithic race of, of, of bad pe you know, evil people like the Klingons were. It's like, going in for like a more sympathetic view of the Soviet bloc where it's like, these are sometimes good people. They're just trapped in a really bad, a really bad and oppressive system. Cause it's like in the, in balance of terror, you've got, you know, the young Lieutenant on the Romulan bird of prey, who's just like, he's clearly been drinking the empire's, you know, the empire's uh, propaganda. Uh, and he's just like, ah, let's go in with guns blazing. You're, you're the captain's weak for not wanting to destroy the enterprise. Just blow them out. And the first author is like, well, look, he's a grizzled old veteran. He just knows how this is done. That's just the way it is. Keep your head down and you won't cause trouble for yourself or your family back home. And the captain is like, look, there's what my orders say to do and what my conscience says to do. And the difference between them is really bothering him. Mm -hmm. You know, the same thing is happening here with Sub-Lieutenant Sial, who, spoilers, uh, is in fact, a, you know, one of the Romulan high command, Admiral Jarrock, who, you know, he's trying to stop a war because he knows the, the empire won't be able to survive it. We're not ready. They're not ready for another one, no matter how much, you know, their propaganda wants them to believe they are. And he's, he just, he wants to prevent this because he believes he's doing the right thing. But at the same time, he doesn't want to give any information, you know, that he doesn't have to, to Picard and company because he doesn't want to. He, he doesn't want to give them a military advantage. He still wants to see himself as being loyal to his people, even though he's crossed the border, mm -hmm. asking, but is asking the Federation for help in destroying, you know, one of their bases. And so it's interesting. A lot of the things I, I think you'll find when he's trying to not not want to reveal any military secrets, it's like he's doing it more to convince himself that he's not a traitor more than he is trying to convince. Uh, Picard and crew that they can trust him because um, he has this wonderful wonderful speech I think it's like one of the top speeches in Star Trek where he, he says why he's doing this he says there comes a time in a man's life when he looks into the first smile of his baby girl and knows he must change the world for her she's why I'm here to save you know to save the empire my daughter I'll never see my daughter smile again she'll grow up believing her father was a traitor but she will grow up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why the end was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. I did it for nothing. My home, my family for mm -hmm. nothing. You know? Yeah. We're just realizing, oh no, this was all a big loyalty test and I blew it. Uh, it's like he passed the morality test, but blew, blew the loyalty test. 
And, I love his moments with Data. Those were nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love some of the language he uses there. I love says, you know, these are not my stars. Even the heavens are denied me here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they spend a... You, this is the is this the first sympathetic Romulan portrayal we get in series? Uh, in Next Generation, I think so. Okay. Um, I know we had like I like I was just saying back in Balance of Terror when they first came in, there were some sympathetic Romulans. Uh, but I but, think this time, but, I think. But yeah, but like in TNG, they kind of came back as like we're bad guys again, and you know, be on the lookout. So this yeah. is kind of showing a little bit more nuance, and like, I guess that's more what TNG's bag is, since we get yeah. Worf as you know the friendly Klingon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that they're not all just yeah. a homogenous. Uh, yeah. Group. Um, no, the defector's a really good one. Um, I also love this is like probably the best uh, episode with Andreas, the late Andreas Katsoulis as uh, Commander Tomalock. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's another. Are you going to eat that character? Yeah. Uh, he's been in like ten novels and five comic storylines, and some of them are even involved, like young Tomalock from a hundred years ago meeting Kirk and Spock. It's like that's mm. how popular the character is. That even if Andreas Consuelos couldn't make it back for more, it's like the fans said, like, oh yeah, we we like this guy because I especially you get the 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 impression of this that he's like. He's the Romulan Empire's equivalent of Picard. He's their their number one captain. And you can tell in this one that he has been itching to throw down with Picard since they last met in the enemy a few episodes previous. And right when he says, when you know, when his two warbirds decloak and he's like, Yeah, you're gonna surrender, you're you're gonna hand the defector back over to us, and we're gonna gut your ship and you know, put its rot, you know, put its, you know, it's, it's, it's wreck in the, uh, in the middle of the town square of Romulus, you know, Romulus's capital city does a, as an example of how great we are. Uh, you know, he's, it's like, you know, he's looking forward to this. It's like, I am finally getting what I want. And then Picard says, well, you wanted more than idle fret. And then the three Klingons decloak and just the look on his face that like, I am so not getting what I want today. <laughs> and, but there's one thing, and I'll come back to it later. Right before he cloaks and he recloaks and, and turns and retreats, you can tell he's just looked at this this development of, huh, yeah, the Klingons showed up to bail them out. He's thinking about that, and we'll get back to that later. Yeah, uh, so happens when you make uh, enemies with everybody, uh, you know. Um, with that one, let's move on to one that I think we all wanted to, to bring up. But uh, Ellie, you got the honor uh, for it. If you want to tell us a little bit about uh, yesterday's Enterprise. Oh man, yesterday's Enterprise. Um, the one where they basically experience an alternate life. Um, or is it like a mirror universe? It's kind of like a Back to the Future 2, like splitting of yeah. reality. Um, and the only person who's like sensitive that anything happened is Guinan because she's got ill-defined right psychic space powers. Again, like they were setting up in Q Who, where she's yeah. sensing a disturbance in the force that the Q's around. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this one was the one where I really felt like I actually liked Tasha Yar. Um just because I don't know, I just didn't really connect with her earlier on and then she died. Um so getting to see her, like, I don't know, kind in of that re- position. Redeemed a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say, since it looks like we all picked that one. 
Yeah. Um, I, I love it because it's uh, what the Enterprise sees the first time we get to see that. Right. Accidentally flung to the future, which is our present day. So, you know, but because they weren't around for their like to finish the climactic battle they got lost in reality changed and we're at war with the Klingons like the Federation's like really militarized and they're they're losing so Yar's still you know on the bridge it's not Worf because you know Worf who knows what happened to him um probably captain of one of the Klingon birds of prey that's attacking them I mean for all we know he died in Kittimer like you know nobody came and rescued him um, oh wow you know, like that's, but that's not the point. The point is like not what happened to Worf. It's just seeing these characters in a situation we don't normally do, and the shock reveal of this character that died two seasons ago is just back. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I also love the moral dilemma of they have to go back in time, knowing that it's literally a suicide mission um, to fight this battle with the Romulans, because that shows the Klingons that the Federation have the guts to to fight them. Because, oh, yeah, because I think that, that that Enterprise was, like, coming to the aid of the Klingons or something. And that's what st- yep. helps solidify their future alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact but, that you know, they died defending Klingons from their own, from the Romulan attack was sort of like, a, mm, you guys have honor after all. Exactly. And that's, you know, started more of the, the bro part of their their bromance there. Um, but, yeah, it's just... It's, it's just Tasha decides to go with him. She's like, I'm not even supposed to be alive. This gives me a chance to die with doing something important. Exactly. Instead of just randomly dying from a bad special effect. um, Because my actress wanted to do something else. Um, Uh, It's like part of the official, the official reason that they gave she wanted time off to go do, I think it was Pet Cemetery. I think she was, the movie she was going to be filming. And they just decided, well, wow, wouldn't it be just such a great you know, shock value moment to just have one of the regular cast that you've, you know, presumably grown to know and like throughout the course of the season just die totally out of left field unexpectedly. And just, you know, that would like up the stakes that, you know, to show that you no, know, no one is safe. Anybody, nobody has plot immunity. It, it, it is a move that I generally like. Um, just this first season of TNG is the kind, only of time ter- yeah, kind of terrible. Yeah. And we didn't get a chance, I feel like, to really like Tasha Yar. Yeah. Right. Enough before then. And they never did it again. So it's like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's not The Walking Dead, you know. Oh. <laughs> and from what I understand, the unofficial reason, uh, rumor has that uh, part of the reason that the, the production staff decided to kill her off rather than just write her off, oh, well, she's going to transfer to another ship and she could come back later, It's was that one of the reasons Denise Crosby was eager to leave, and this is just a rumor, uh, that the certain members of the production staff were were pretty uh, pretty grabby handsy with the late with the lady members of the cast, and she was having none of it. And so they said, "Well, fine, we'll kill your character." Yeah, I've heard lots of bad stuff was probably going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to speculate on it too much because none yeah. of us were there. But yeah. Regardless, Again, I think this is more dignified send off for the character in general. Um, well, it's also a really good episode. Rather, the skin of evil was just like whatever, like an episode. Not to drag completely off topic, but isn't that why the actress who played Dax also left the show? Um, a little bit. She was also she was also uh, signing the deal to do uh, Becker 
at the same uh, uh, time. Okay. Yeah. But again, I have heard that, yeah, Rick Berman being kind of a misogynistic jerk said, well, fine, we'll kill her. Yeah. Was it with Rick's? Um, that one was one where, like, I didn't see coming and I, I felt a lot. But I also had, like, six seasons to get to know this character and she was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say that Tasha Yar couldn't have been great as well, but we didn't get a chance. We don't live in that alternate reality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the, the next one uh, here. Uh, it's one of yours, Mike. Okay. Uh, let me check the list here. Where we are we? Ah, Sins of the Father. Okay. This one This one is just... It is the definitive Clayton episode that sets up so much mythology for... The, you know, the Klingon Empire, how it works, and the way it behaves and how it interacts with the rest of the galaxy, that it has consequences that will, that will be affecting Trek until pretty much the end of that continuous 18-year run from first episode of Next Generation to last episode of Enterprise. Uh, I mean, it has, it has effects... In the, in the first of the next generation movies. Um, mm-hmm. even, you know, go back, you know, again, even the the whole House of Uros is re you know, they bring them back in Enterprise to show that, yeah, even 200 years ago, they were up to shady garbage. Um, this one does a lot of cool stuff in that the whole idea, for years, we for like three years now, we've been seeing the Klingon Empire through wharf size. And because it's something that he saw as taken from him as a young age, that he's got to prove himself worthy of regaining, he has this very idealistic view of it. Kind of like, you know, um, I want to say there's there's the old saying that converts make the best Christians almost, but again, but the, the idea that he's only known this from the books, from what the books tell him it's supposed to be, rather than having lived through it firsthand in living memory he's like no we believe in honor and glory and it's glorious and it's and it's good and it's virtuous and he gets there and it's like wow these are the scummiest untrustworthiest backstabbingest jerks ever where you get the the that uh, you start to get the idea that honor is just one of those words that they use to justify whatever behave whatever they want to get away with at the moment mm-hmm. uh, more literal translation is not about character and virtue and and uh it's more about yeah i get what i want and none of you have to die um you know and the whole idea for those who aren't familiar with it the idea that you know there's a, a new klingon exchange officer sort of like as uh Riker had done previous season become you know becoming the exchange first officer on a klingon bird of prey there's this new guard commander kern shows up and he's He's kind of a, a real hard ass riding everybody except Worf. He's kind of condescending and patronizing to him. And Worf basically says, what is the deal? And you know, Curran has to reveal to him, look, I had to make sure you were up to this because I'm your brother, our dad's been framed for treason and you need to come back to the Empire to challenge this, this ruling. Um, and it's, it's, there's, there's just so much good stuff there. Uh, like the, you know, when he asks Picard, look, I'm going to need some time off to do this. And Picard says, no, you can't have time off. I'm going there with you. You're one of my officers. If they're accusing you of treason, that reflects on this ship, it reflects on the Federation, and it reflects on me. So I'm going to be right there beside you. Uh, which is like a good, you know, a nice moment to, you know, to show how much respect Worf really has in Picard's eyes. 
um, and some good moments with um, what you call it. I love little bit, little subtle things like at the end when Worf agrees, all right, in order for the Empire not to have to break down in civil war and utterly destroy the alliance with the Federation, I'm going to accept discommendation, which means basically you all stand in a circle, tell me I'm a coward that has no honor and I'm not welcome in the Empire anymore, and I'll live with that. Uh, and we don't have to reveal that, you know, it's Duras's father. And speaking of that, it's like they're trying to frame Moog's father for the or, or Worf's father Moog for this. It's like, okay, so Duras's father was the spy who handed over the codes to the Romulans for the for the uh, for the defense grid to let them attack Kittimer. And I'm like, I can't help but picture the fact that he died too. It's like you know, as soon as he sent it over, that he's like, okay, where's my reward? Oh, you'll be getting it very shortly. And about, boom, yes, by about now. Um, yeah, which again, now this is where, what I was talking about before, where Tomalock looks at the, you know, the Klingons decloaking and says, huh, gotta, th gotta think about this. The whole reason we kn the Klingons know that there was a traitor at Kittimer, not necessarily who, was because they found a, 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 a and captured a Romulan ship that just happened to have logs detailing what went down at Kittimer 20 years previous. Just, you know, just a coincidence. And it's like, huh, it's funny that they'd get this information immediately after the Romulans start to think, you know, maybe it would be better for us if the Federation and the Klingons fight and they weaken each other before we try and start a war again. Yeah, uh, this is, I would say probably, I just don't know if I want to plant my flag too hard and say this is the quintessential Worf episode, hmm. but I think it's definitely his top one in Next Gen. Uh, he's got some really good stuff in Deep Space Nine. Um, it's, it's definitely the, it's like they've had some stuff where they, yeah, they did Heart of Glory where they show him, you know, dealing with Klingon renegades who themselves aren't behaving the way the Empire's supposed to do and how he's conflicted by I understand them but I can't but I can't my duty forbids me from being like them mm -hmm. and we started and we see it again in uh, the emissary where we first meet Kalar uh, and they established that yeah they were an item but again his duty kind of stopped him from pursuing what he wanted uh, and again there's we're dealing with Klingons who are renegades who need to be stopped and you know the way you can resolve this with, with oh my gosh uh, sorry with, about that okay uh but this is the first one where it's like yeah this is this is a full-on meta plot that's going to be running for you know running for quite some time and there's there, there's you know and we're always going to every new episode that involves it is going to be building off of this yeah it's it's very much like a lodestone uh mm -hmm. for for basically yeah like you said for just basically just all the klingon plots from here on out because this also sets in motion like all of the stuff with, with galron even which mm -hmm affects the entire thing you know from from here from yeah basically yeah the rest as yeah. far as trek got into the it's its own timeline because everything yeah. we've done started going back uh since then um but yeah so sins of the father is, is and it's also the first yeah. time where we start to get like the long form sequential arcs because before you'll notice everything was was pretty self-contained mm. because the word had come down from the suits at the studio that 
well, this is syndication. If people watch it and feel like they've missed too much, they won't watch it and the ratings will go down. So we just want to be able, every episode to be one and done. That You see it, you can watch it. You don't need to have seen all previous 30 episodes to understand what's going on here. You can just dive in and out at any time. Um, and this is the first time we're like, no, we, we want to set things that will pay off later off down the road that will reward people who are watching faithfully. And this is actually one of the first times, uh, maybe one of the first times in just uh, American te you know, television drama in general where that starts to happen. Oh, yeah. Most, my knowledge is mostly limited to Star Trek, so I'm not sure what the rest of like society kind of was when TV watching terms then. But uh, no, this, is definitely, this is definitely a turning point for the franchise here uh, in general. Although I guess you can say like, Wrath of Khan like kind of pulls up operas, but then there are they are quite specifically yeah but um all right well we're gonna move on it's gonna be my first episode uh exciting uh we're doing Captain's Holiday from season three um the reason I like this one is simple uh Picard is forced to finally take some shore leave um and he just wants to he's very reluctant he just wants to take a nap and read a book, but like he keeps getting pulled <laughs> into this adventure and it's like, I just love the reluctant nature of it. It's just like, Oh my God, just leave me alone. Uh, Cause then Vash and this uh, Ferengi keep trying to like pull him so, in on this treasure hunt and like everyone's trying to get him laid and he's just like, leave me alone. I have to, I'm, I'm here begrudgingly. I'm going to just read a book. That's all I want. <laughs> It, I love Bosch actually. Um, this was I loved this episode. <laughs> um, getting like a female character who's like devious and just kind of um, I don't know, also like seductive to Picard, which like usually he wouldn't give into that. <laughs> but I, he was on Riza, so yeah. <laughs> that was actually, I believe, at the request of Patrick Stewart himself, who told. Uh, Iris Stephen Bear, when he was the the right the new writer on uh, on this, uh, that's Iris Stephen Bear or Robert Hewitt Wolf. I know it's three names and a and a large mammal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I know who went to work on DS Nine. But I know remember. But probably both because from what I understand, Picard uh, Patrick Stewart said this to all the new writers that you know Picard needs to be involved in more in more shooting and screwing, uh, some more fighting and fornicating. Uh, he wants to do more than just stand on the bridge looking stern and, and making profound speeches. He's, you know, I want to I want to do some action-y stuff. Um, That's so funny because I know Patrick Stewart, from what I was reading, like, they all thought the show wasn't going to last, so he wouldn't even, like, there was, like, a rumor that he wouldn't even unpack his bags until, yeah. like, six months in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, like, his just his theatrical nature in general with all the Shakespeare and data scenes and like <laughs> all of the theatrics. I get it. Uh, I'm going to make this a bold statement. I think that's the wrong thing to start pushing Picard into because every time they try to do traditional action, it stinks. But, <laughs> but uh, um, I do like this episode again. It's the reluctant nature that makes me like yeah. it. I like, I like, I like a good curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's, it's a good, fun episode. Much, much lower stakes than some of the other ones we've talked about. 
Where it's even, like I gotta save the future of the time this timeline where it's just like even though there are two aliens from the future who want him, you know, to find the thing that will allow them to take over. Yeah, lots of McGuffins, but uh just in general, like it just at least feels a lot lower stakes. And the Ferengi, anything with Ferengis, I think is hilarious. So oh, I hate them in TNG so much. <laughs> I I like Sovak here. Um yeah. because mostly because he's played by Max Kredenchik, who goes mm-hmm. on Rom on yeah. DS9. I think he's even wearing the same dental prosthetic with that one crooked tooth that comes tooth he's got, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Rom is one of the redeeming factors for their entire species for me. Um, yeah. I, I did. We will get to them on, on our top five DS9 episodes. I can't pick five. That's why I did TNG. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's why you have, you know, guest cast on there who yeah. will pick five for you that you don't have to pick yeah i might have to do that and trust some people uh but i'm trying to space out the star trek episodes i'm trying to do one every other month otherwise it's just a star trek podcast if i talked about (laughs) as much as i want to um but i was also gonna say i love max kredenchik as sovac in this because interesting fact he's like he's the only ferengi in all of star trek that says human instead of human um, partially because he's trying to do, you know, Peter Lorre from the Maltese Falcon and the Ferengi voice at the same time, and you just you can't. There, there's, you know, they're too incompatible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's very clearly Peter Lorre. Yes. Oh, why did you do that? You know. Um, and it's like I lo- and he's um, what you call it? Uh, again, this is also because that writer, I'm pretty sure it's Iris Stephen Bear, is like a big old movie buff. So he put as many references to old movies you know, as he could in this. So it's like, yes, Sovak is Peter Lorre. And there's a you know, the relationship between Picard and Vosh is kind of Spencer and Tracy. Uh, and, you know, and the whole MacGuffin thing. It's like, I've for years, I've called this one Indiana Picard, Indiana Picard and the Maltese phallic symbol. Yeah, that that's a good title for it. I love it. Um, all right, so moving on. This is where I think in most other people's top fives, we would talk about the best of both worlds. Uh, but for my next pick is actually the episode right after that called Family, uh, which picks up after the events of Best of Both Worlds, where Picard's kind of, he was assimilated and under his command committed this horrible atrocity against the Federation and caused, I don't know if, I, I'm sure they said how many people died, but it's like a really huge number. And uh, yeah tens of thousands uh including cisco's wife which sets off that whole show um Mm -hmm. but uh he's kind of trying to grapple with that and so he's reconnecting with his family back on earth and he doesn't get along with his brother and he's got like a nephew and stuff but like towards the end they just start physically fighting and he breaks down and it's i think it's patrick stewart's best acting on the show yeah which is probably a bold statement. Well, not probably nothing. It definitely is a bold statement. I agree. Episodes. <laughs> um, but I, it's just the one that resonated with me the most. Cause it's like, yeah, that would, I think in most other shows, like at this time, like they would not deal with like the human part of that. Yeah. And to deal with it. And then it's got a really fun B plot where like we get to meet more uh, human parents. Yes. Uh, they get to, sh- you know, show up and like learn about him and it's, and then fun to it, like touch. I think they're Russian. I think yeah. that's cute because the you know the, like we mentioned before the Klingons were kind of stand-ins for the Russians back in the sixties. 
Um, but I just, I like it a lot. It's just one of those things like I, that to me makes the events of best of the both worlds so much more effective. And also you bring this up that, you know, seeing the emotional fallout from these really traumatic events. This is one of the very rare times in Star Trek where it happens at all. Mm -hmm. We've seen lots of crazy stuff happen to our cast. I mean, like they get split in two by transporter accidents. They get, you know, they have to meet their parallel timeline counterparts who are evil. They, you know, all kinds of weird, bizarre things happen to them that would be just intensely traumatic to, you know, a normal 20th century human being. And next episode, they're just, let's get back on uh, that uh, gaseous nebula survey. Which again, is a function of, we want this to be episodic. We don't want people to come and say, wait, what's he so broken up about? Oh, I missed that one. Well, screw it. I won't watch this one then. Yeah, I think that's, I think that serialized storytelling, especially in something like this is a big boon, a big part of why I like Deep Space Nine so much. Yeah. Um, and I think even Enterprise benefits from that. I mean, we'll save discussions for other Star Trek shows for a different one. But um, I, yeah, it's just well, this is one of the few times in TNG, especially at this point, where like they really follow up on things that have been set up already. And you know, you get like learning about about Worf's human history and growing up and you know, uh, with with his his feder in the Federation, like they they play up more stuff with this. I believe his parents show back up again in later episodes. Um, once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. I would be hard pressed to remember what they are. I know you meet his adopted like his his human brother at one point. And I know they're they're mentioned then. I don't think they actually show up. And I know they show up again uh when uh spoilers, Worf's son Alexander, who has been living with them, comes to stay with him on the Enterprise permanently because yeah. Uh, you know, they're just, it's like, we're getting old. We can't, we can't keep up with a, you know, with a Klingon, you know, in, in his growth, in his, uh, you know, kindergarten age growth spurt running wild. Oh my God. In my D and D game, my character just had triplets with another player and I can't keep up with them and they're pretend. <laughs> um, so I can only imagine what a Klingon boy is like. Oh, yeah. That's that's how you know your DM is doing it right. <laughs> I'll make sure I'll make sure they know you said that. Um, uh, but yeah, I I just uh, it's just a great emotional episode. I really I really like strong character stuff, and it's just there's no adventure. That's all it is is exploring your characters and what they just went through. Yeah, and I, I find that intensely fascinating. Not that I don't like adventures, but I think it was nice to have a wholesome episode after what had happened. Because that was traumatic for the viewers too. Because you know yeah. the, the season cliffhanger where, oh no, they're going to kill Picard. Like, and then like the whole we like know. Earth gets invaded and stuff. Like, oh my gosh! Like yeah. literally everything we've established about these these guys that are coming is that you can't stop them. They haven't. You can't negotiate with them. You can't defeat them. You can't destroy them. They have no remorse, no pity, and they absolutely will not stop. Yeah. Uh, and the other there's like existentially terrifying too where like yeah. your, your individuality is nothing you meant like you mean nothing to them you're just, you're just raw material to be consumed. yeah oh it's so that's what makes the borg so great and then yeah this is where it peaks that's where it peaks and then i not that i hate everything with the borg after that but they're never nearly as as interesting again 
it's like if I if I can sidetrack into Doctor Who for a moment, it's like the Weeping Angels. Yes. Link was awesome and scary because you didn't understand you didn't understand these things. What were they? How do they work? And then once they figure out a way to stop them, well, you can't really bring them back because then you got to ask, well, why didn't you just do the same thing you did to stop them last time? And you've got to keep changing the rules to to oh, well, they work do this now. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. well it's stop them this way instead of the same way we did last time. And I guess in the Weeping Angels a lot like the board were like instantly iconic. Yeah. And definitely yeah. defined that era for this franchise uh in a way that not even their their main characters did. Yeah. Um so it's like one of those things like you can't not bring them back. It's too much e it's too much easy ratings, you know. Hmm. Like I remember it again we're off on the tangent dark too, but like I don't remember what series it was, but like the promo poster for was like the Statue of Liberty was a weeping angel. Uh, yeah, like, that, oh the, my god, what's gonna happen? So, uh, angels take Manhattan. Yes. Yeah, that was a weak, weak sauce <laughs> episode. Why would they even do that? It's the most viewed thing ever. Anyway, I don't want to get into Doctor Who right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's I don't know. I really like Family. It's definitely probably <laughs> one of the least fun ones we're bringing up. <laughs> but I think Worf and his family uh, go a long way to like light, lighten the mood. Because otherwise, it, it is very, it's very heavy. It's it's fun when uh, the Rojenkos are around, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. Specifications back home. Yeah, so let's move on to the next episode, uh, which is one of yours, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, the this is on my list too. I'm so happy you picked it. Mm -hmm. The wounded. This is the first appearance of the Cardassians. Uh, it's the first time we really get to see O'Brien do stuff. You know, in a uh, other than just stand at the console and say energizing, and we get to do it in a, he gets to do it in a big way, and in a way this is kind of setting up a lot of stuff for Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. uh, should we be taking a shot? I don't know. No, that's a different show. I um, no. We've already talked about Deep Space Nine like every other episode we talked about. <laughs> yeah. um, but the interesting, uh, one of the fun things about this is. It's got it's got a couple a great another one a great line I like where you know we talk about Brian's experiences during the war uh, about how you know he was protecting some women and children who were trying you know he was they were trying to evacuate uh, and two you know Cardassian soldiers attacked and somebody just threw him a gun and he fired and just incinerated the Cardassian and for the first time in his life he had killed something and. You know, he has the wonderful line that the Cardassian offer the officer that you short to earlier in the episode, where he says, "It's not you I hate, Cardassian. It's what I ha I, I hate what I became because of you." Ah, war. What is it good for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love the um, the song uh, that he has that uh, that he sings with uh, his former captain Ben Maxwell. Uh, to you know, remind him of what you know. What strangely enough, during the war, was the good old days for them. Uh, and for, you know, the, for those who aren't familiar with the song, it's just minstrel boy to the war has gone in the ranks of death. You will find him. His father, he hath girded on with his wild harp slung behind him. And this is this one sticks with me partially because it's just it's a really emotional scene in the episode where he sings it and Maxwell joins in 
and it's just like, oh, it's so so sad. Um, but this decades ago, when Deep Space Nine was first run, uh, they used they used the song periodically, just snippets of it. You know, not quite as O'Brien singing, but periodically in the score when O'Brien's doing something. Um, I was reading. I was working at uh, Atlantic City Boardwalk Convention Hall. And I forget what show was in, but there was like some Celtic marching band, you know, with the, the drums and the bagpipes and the kilts. Mm -hmm. And while I'm stopping to have lunch, I'm reading one of the Deep, Deep Space Nine novels. And it's one, I forget the name, but Odo and Quark get uh, thrust into the three days into the future by some weird gamma quadrant uh, artifact. Uh, and while they're in transit to the future, aliens from the gamma quadrant show up looking for it invade the station and kill everybody because it's not there and they want it back. And in the bad future that has to be prevented uh, by Corkinota going back to give them the thing, uh, everybody's dead and like O'Brien has to, you know, set the reactor, the station's reactor on overload and flood the station with radiation to kill all the invaders and in the process sacrifices himself to do so. And as I'm literally, as I am reading the sentence that says, and O'Brien dies, the band on the other side of the break room wall starts up playing, the minstrel boy to the war has gone in the ranks of death, you will find. And I'm like, synchronicity, it's not just an album by the police. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love O'Brien. Poor O'Brien. It does not get better. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, and I love O'Brien. You know, another little moment here in there where, you know, uh, O'Brien is at the board meeting uh, where he's talking about how, you know, where they're asking about, well, what can you tell us about Captain Maxwell? What kind of man is he? What would you do this? And the Cardassian, you know, captain is basically saying, well, it's obvious if his family was killed in the mass in the war, then he wants revenge. And I love how O'Brien is just like, hey, you want to, I know Picard's my captain now, but you want to talk bad about my old captain, prepare to catch these hands, you know, which, oh, which also reminds me. Um, and again, in terms of setting things up for Deep Space Nine, the the Cardassian captain here is played by Mark Alamo. Even though he's not Gul Dukat, he's still he's very similar to it. Um, he's not as just gleefully malevolent, but he's a shady guy. He's a shady SOB. Yeah. And one of the things that fascinates me about this, which again is setting up things for Cardassians again until the end of the series, until like the end of Voyager almost. Uh, I really want to know, because Picard says the war end. we've only just established a treaty a year ago that ended the war. So that means for the first seasons of Next Generation, the Federation and the Cardassians were at war, and you'd barely notice. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one knew. And I want to know, there's just something about the Cardassians and when they're involved, and that treaty, it just means... The Federation is going to do some morally questionable stuff. And they are going to let a lot of stuff that the Cardassians do slide in the name of not starting that war back up. Yeah. And I really have to wonder, for a war that we saw no outward signs of for two years, <coughs> what the heck happened that was so bad that the Federation is willing to let pretty much anything happen? 
as long as the war doesn't start back up. I mean, they're diving back into conflict with the Klingons in Deep Space Nine a lot more readily, which will cause a lot more damage than I could hope. I would imagine the Cardassians could ever hope to cause. Yeah, I I've been wondering that too. Um, I mean, obviously, because like they basically screw over all their citizens that lived in what is now the demilitarized zone, which causes yeah. another, basically another enemy front for them. Yeah. With the Maquis. Mm-hmm. And just no end of diplomatic problems. It's, well, yeah. that's it, they, I know they touch on it a little bit in TNG, but it's it's really one of the main plot points, or ongoing stories rather, in Deep Space Nine. Um, it's like, you know, anytime Admiral, uh, Admiral Necheyev shows up, that she's just, ah, oh, great. Federation Council has made what uh, Nick Fury would call an incredibly stupid decision, but she's yeah. here to tell the card, look, I know we hired you for your morals and your principles and just screw all of that and just do what you're told right now. Yeah. Ugh. Well, anyway, uh, so that's a that's a fun episode. Yeah. It, 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 um, um, we, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. We saw the actor who played Gold Ducat, right? Uh, yeah, Mark Alimo, yeah. Yeah. He I'm was in um, he was in the neutral zone. He was already uh, at the end of season one, and uh, he was uh, one of the Romulans. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. he was in uh, Lonely Among Us as either one of the Antican wolf-faced guys or one of the Seelay cobra-faced guys. But even he won't admit which one he was. Yeah, <laughs> and he's also a human in the one episode where they meet Mark Twain. I can't remember what it's called. Time uh, He's a, he's yeah. a riverboat gambler. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize he was that occurrent. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. When they have, when we've mentioned a couple of their makeup, I think he has a mustache. Yeah. yeah. We mentioned a couple of their uh, match and match grown chick. When they get good alien actors, they reuse them all the time. Mm-hmm. I usually don't know. It took me till the end of Deep Space Nine, my first watch, to realize that Jeffrey Collins was both Brunt and Wayun because mm-hmm. he looks and acts so different as both of them. And because of the teeth and stuff when he's Brunt, he doesn't really sound like himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also uh, going back to the defector, James Sloyan, who plays Admiral Jarrock, he's a Klingon in a seventh season episode. He's uh, a Bajoran on DS9, Odo's dad, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, uh, yeah. a couple, <coughs> in two episodes. And he's like in Voyager's Two Aliens of the Week. <coughs> and he's got that very distinctive voice, but you, you never see him as a human. I mean, they sometimes reuse humans as humans because Cisco's yeah. dad is in one of the movies. I think he's in episode, or ep, not episode, uh, movie six. Yeah. As one of the humans that was like in on the conspiracy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, now that we've kind of yeah. gone off a little bit of a tangent there, but hopefully one that was interesting. Uh, Ellie, why don't you bring us up to your next episode, Clues? Oh, yes. Okay. So personally, Clues is probably my favorite episode. It's not like super action packed. It's not like, you know, tugging at your heartstrings. Um, but I'm a big fan of Data, which I know, Scott, <laughs> you are kind of over the whole, I want to be a real boy shtick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Dis- um, I, I, I don't. I don't dislike Data. I just don't like him as much as the writers do. Yeah, I can. I can understand that. Um, so this episode was really cool because I really like um, any kind of writing that like messes with your mind um, or has like a big twist. So they go through a wormhole and then you see them passed out, and then um, Data is the only one who wasn't affected because he's an android. And basically just tells them, like, yeah, you guys were out for 30 seconds, no big deal. And then um, Beverly, the 
doctor um was growing what was it like scarlet moss and then she notices that it had been growing um it the amount that it grew was 24 hours and there's no way it could have grown that much in 30 seconds so the whole episode there's like a bunch of clues that like they actually were out for 24 hours and not 30 seconds as data said so then they kind of figure out that data was like keeping a secret and it's it's so interesting because data you know is just always so honest <laughs> follows orders and um you come to find that he was actually trying to protect them from or prevent them from kind of following the same exact steps to um discovering this like entity what was it it was like xenophobic race that just wanted to stick be isolated and not not be bothered by the rest of the universe yeah and they threatened to what take the take over the ship and the people right yeah basically annihilate them yeah you came back we got to kill you now yeah (laughs) i told you now i gotta kill you um and i just thought that the acting in that episode was really good because even like there was like a scene where picard was like um oh escort data to i don't know like sick bay or something and and he was like i know the way <laughs> so i don't know yeah, um I... did any of you guys enjoy that episode too it's a good mystery plot like yeah i like yeah. that you as an audience member just as in the dark as the characters so you're kind of there to piece it along alongside them. yeah <clears throat> pardon and again now that you mentioned i'm surprised i didn't pick any data episodes for my list because I do like data. Um, I'd have to say like my favorite next gen characters are like data and Worf, which kind of ties back to like, you know, one of my favorite original series characters was Spock and on DS9, my favorite, you know, I, you know, Odo is probably just my favorite Star Trek character flat out period. Cause you know, I, there's just something about not quite, I guess, well, yeah, I guess the outsider character, the character who kind of looks at everyday humanity and just says, I don't get you guys is just something. Yeah. I, I empathize with a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that there's a, that's one of the traditions you kind of always need the outsider on a, a, a Star Trek show. Um, this is just, it's also it's like nice writing device. Cause like you can comment on humanity, but like still have it be a character. So it's not yeah. as obvious. Um, but I always said like, it's amazing that because they're the two first ones, like with Spock and data, that they aren't as boring as they probably could have been. Um, like, I think, like, you go down the road of, like, a Tuvix, where it's just, like, I'm emotionless and not that fun. Or not Tuvix, like, Tuvok. Sorry, Tuvix is when they're mixed together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing that they're they're as interesting and well-rounded as they are. It's just, uh, how many stories can we keep doing where, like, Data needs to prove his humanity? It's just like, uh, all right. <laughs> I, I got it. And one of the things I've always said about uh, Voyager is like I'm not saying it's a bad show but I am saying you know you have some systemic problems when consistently the most emotionally affecting performances come from the Borg the hologram and the Vulcan when he's allowed to do things mm. yeah it's I'll say it. I say Voyager is a bad show I don't like Voyager at all like I said I've been you know there's since I moved up to up here to Ocean County there's a, a station that runs all five of the original, you know, original series to Enterprise, six nights a week, 8 p.m. onwards. So I'm usually awake for Voyager and Enterprise, and I'm like, okay, now that I'm actually looking at them for what they are 
and not what I want them to be, wanted them to be 20 years ago, it's like, they're not as bad as I remember. I mean, I'll say this. <coughs> Enterprise is not a, is far from a perfect show. Yeah. I think it's got some big problems, but I do think it's reputation mm-hmm. is much worse than it deserves. It I got just, a lot better seasons three and four, but unfortunately no one was still paying attention. To yeah, that. it was getting real good. And then because of that, they canceled it. Yeah. Um, which I, it happens. Uh, yeah. The first series was the original series is like going to be canceled every like episode. So yeah. Um, anyway, not getting too far off topic, but clues is a good one. Uh, it's one of the better like, mystery episodes, I think. You know, there's kind yeah. of like different like genres of TNG episode. Yeah, but- and even at the beginning, I think there was like um, the the cast or the not the cast the the, the crew. The crew, thank you. They were taking like a, a break, and then Guinan for the first time was like um, in like one of Picard's um, holodeck um, where he's like a detective, like one of his stories. And then you know they didn't really get to go into it, but it would have been nice to to see more of that, I think. But at any rate, another another fun quirk of Picard. That yes, for all of his his great Shakespearean ability, just, you know, Patrick Stewart Picard himself just loves some trashy pulp, you know, pulp detective novels from the 40s. Yeah. (laughs) I also love some good schlock, so I don't mind him. I don't, you know, that's very endearing. Um, But yeah, so I think we're going to move on to the next episode, which is one of mine. Um, it's not one of the reasons I wanted to move on to it, but I'm looking at the clock and we still have some episodes to get through. Yeah. Um, my next episode, season five, uh, episode two, uh, 1991, is uh, Darmok. Mm-hmm. So this is the episode where the aliens essentially speak in memes and <laughs> up to everyone to kind of decipher how it uh, works, uh, you know, how, how to communicate them. So if you look at it and like thinking about it more literal level, like their language doesn't make any sense. How would we even, the universal translator even work? in a way that we could figure it out um but it's just, the episode's really about communication mm-hmm. and learning to to like just basically in general learning to communicate you know picard and the the alien or captain are, are stuck on this the planet and they have to learn to communicate with each other because there's a monster attacking them meanwhile there's two their ships up in orbit have to learn to communicate with each other because otherwise it's like a war crime and they're trying to avoid that you know, escalating it into a bigger conflict than it needs to be. Um, but then the best part of the episode is like, all right, you kind of figure it out along with Picard down on the planet and he's able to, to figure out how to communicate with these people. And then he just comes, when he finally comes, they finally rescue him, they get him back up on the ship. He just kind of like walks in, he kind of not even walks, he like swaggers onto the bridge, talks down the whole situation and just kind of like, walks back off set like you know walks back off frame and it's like the most badass movement of like picard has and like it's not a big crazy action thing he used his brain and figured it out and communicated and i find that more interesting than let's shoot a thousand lasers at each other Mm -hmm. uh and i it feels so you you feel triumphant because you kind of went along for the ride for it i don't know it's just a really fun episode and it really stuck out to me. And I think it's the first time I noticed Picard's cool jacket that I really, really want. 
Yes. I think that's the first episode he wears it. Yeah, too. I think like, it is too. Because I remember being like, "Oh, that jacket's neat. I want it." Um, but that's I know. Again, I think it was another request yeah. from Patrick Stewart, where it's like, "I, you know, I want to, you know, I, I want a uniform that's much like William Shatner in the original series." It's like, <clears throat> can I get a uniform another color than red, yellow, or blue? And so they gave him like that that apple green one. Yeah. Oh man, and I mean, I know they needed to change the uniforms because the original ones were like horrible. Uh, yeah. Just to, to, to live in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's Darmok. I don't have much more to say about that, ironically. Um, I just, it's, <laughs> it's just a really fun uh, episode. And uh, I don't know. It's just one that always stuck out to me. So I was good. So basically, with the episodes I picked, it's mostly like going back and just remembering like what really stood out to me, slash what I kind of go back and watch on rewatches for TNG. Cause TNG serialized nature keeps me from like I don't want to watch every episode because I'm like well this episode's not as great because there's a really good one coming up so I'll just skip ahead um so the yeah these you know so episodes I skip I kind of don't even uh factor into like thinking about this stuff and like I don't really rewatch Measure of a Man a lot of the like really classic episodes over and over again I don't know I I like I said I like some schlockier stuff which is a good segue into my next episode, which might be my favorite TNG episode. Uh, also, you know, just a few episodes later, Disaster. Um, you know, where it's essentially the Poseidon adventure in space. Um, the Enterprise is, you know, crew chugging along like normal, and then a disaster hits, and they lose power. So there's no communications. You can't. None of the. No one's able to, like move around the ship. So it's about like four. There's like no real A story. There's like four, basically four stories um, and with different groupings for different characters in really interesting ways and how they have to solve whatever their current conundrum is. So I loved it. Yeah. So for example, on the bridge, it's uh, Ensign Rowe, Miles O'Brien and Deanna Troy. And Troy is actually the commanding, like the highest ranking officer there. So she has to take command of the Mm -hmm. Enterprise and meanwhile, I got like Roe and O'Brien are kind of like the angel and the devil on her shoulder. Roe's like, we got to separate the saucer and get out of here because I think the warp core is going to explode or something. Um, you have no way to know that there's anybody still alive. Down yeah, they have there. no way to know anyone's still alive. There's like, you know, you which, know which is like, again, another point of this. It's like, what, what happened to the other thousand people on board the ship? Are yeah, right. Their quarters, you know, unable, you know, unable, with, unable to open the locks without power. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing not everyone wants to crawl around in Jeffrey tubes and stuff. Um, well, there was a baby being born. <laughs> well, that in 10-4, Worf has to deliver Keiko O'Brien's baby. You're right <laughs> um, which is which is great. And I love that they reference it in Deep Space Nine when they mentioned that one of the other characters is having a baby and Worf just leaves. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's like, oh, God, no. And like, it's out of there. Actually, I think it's... Uh, I think I, it's I, Keiko's I, second yeah. baby, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As I know, they've made references like there's one person who's a plant, and they're like, "Oh, they're budding again." Like, yes. you know, um, <laughs> I love you, Face Nine. But, um, Me too. Chief O'Brien and I are going to hold a baby shower for him, but Brian's making him a uh, you know a a, a pod a pod hatchery. Yeah, I know. I know they mentioned that. Like, oh, Worf's my friend. You know, he delivered the baby. He's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it's it's a fun thing because again, the characters are kind of sectioned off in interesting pairings. Like Picard's stuck in a turbo lift with a bunch of kids, and like he hates kids, and he kind of needs to overcome that. Um, he <laughs> needs to, like, die. Yeah, they need. Yeah, he, 
yeah, he needs to calm them down and they need to get out of the situation because they are going to die. Yeah. The locks are failing and the turbo lift's going to drop. Yeah. Um, and then the only people that are really solving anything are Riker and Data's head uh, into Jeffrey's yes. tubes, you know, crawling around the ship trying to get it to work again. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. And it's like I said, I think the character pairings go a really long way with this mm. um, to make it really interesting. Because again, these are, it's, this is the first time like I really liked Troy because she's like the first time she's not really passive. Yeah. I, you know, and then this from here, she's like, I'm going to wear a normal uniform. I'm going to start being, start taking like my role in Starfleet seriously. Like she actually tries for different ranks and stuff. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm, you know, if you think of like I, I just think in terms of like you know the futuristic te- technology of the enterprise and like i feel like the problem that happened in this episode would like it's such a realistic <laughs> problem like you know like even like when you're working like i worked at a hospital and like the power would go out and we'd have to like immediately like arm ourselves at the doors and like l- like i don't know figure out things so i <laughs> losing contact with the entire ship not knowing who's alive or dead i don't know it was just like a really intense and fun story excuse you guys one second i have to deal with this dog okay well i guess while you're doing that i i just wanted to mention there was one episode i was thinking about doing but i said no nah, I, I got five i you know i, I can just mention this as a side note, uh, what Scott was saying about you start to see Troy for the first time, like, no, I'm, I'm a serious command officer here, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I deserve to be respected. There's one late, uh, late season, I think it's six season, called Face of the Enemy, where she wakes up in uh, just in a dark room, real, looks in the mirror and realizes, oh, crap, I'm a Romulan. Uh, yeah, and it's a the, great episode. Yeah. And just what you were saying, Scott, about how Troy's starting to get seriously in, like, I am a command officer who deserves respect. I am not just a cheerleader in a, you know, in a low-cut dress. Uh, what I love about Face of the Enemy is, like, her cover is that she's a member of the Tal Shiar, which is like the Romulan Gestapo or KGB. And the way she's got to, you know, deep go deep into this and just be meaner than we have ever seen Troy B and maybe meaner than I've ever seen Marina Sirtis be, you know, just, just to sell her cover to the point where she's even, you know, barking at the the her handler in uh, Spock's resist, you know, in Spock's resistance movement that just like who, who brought her on here to do this job is like, no, you're going to do what I say if you want this to go down and just, you know, she's threatening people's families and it's like, wow, Troy's getting dark. <laughs> and it's weird how much she seems to kind of like it a little. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's disturbingly comfortable. Uh, you know, ordering executions. That was a great episode. She had to be sure of herself. There was no room for hesitation or mistakes there. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I came, I came back just in time to cough. <clears throat> it's okay. Me. I've been doing it. <laughs> No, it's all right. I think all, all three of us have been coughing, actually. Yeah. Well, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, um, I can still smell, so... Yeah, it's still good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is, like, incredible sensitivity. But yeah, Mike, why don't you take us on to the next episode here, our first of season six. Hang on a second here. Ah, lubricate the throat a bit. Uh, now we're on to Relics, uh, which this is the one where they find Scotty 
you know, they find a ship that's been uh, crashed on the surface of a Dyson sphere, which is this crazy idea of where, like, if you can, if a sufficiently advanced civilization can dis planet around the star, they'll have enough raw materials to build a solid, a hollow shell encasing it so they can just take all of the solar energy it's it's radiating in every direction and they will never run out of run out of power then and they find the ship crashed there it's been there for 75 years and there's something in the transporter that's just been going through the going through the diagnostic loop for 75 years and it's scotty um and this is this is nice see this one hits different now when i watched it today uh, in preparation for this, you know, at the time, you know, I'm in late high school, early college. It's like, yeah, Scotty's back, and and you know, all the nostalgia of, of him coming. But I'm going to be 50 next, you know, next September, and that whole sequence where Scotty's going on to the the holodeck recreation of the old the old original series bridge, and just sad that you can't, you know, that's gone and it's not coming back. It's sort of like that whole realization that, yeah, I got more days behind me than I do ahead of me. It's like, yeah, that, that hits different now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just so, it's so much more emotionally affecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you see him, you know, just, uh, it's like, yeah, because we, the fans are excited to have Scotty back, but literally everybody else on the enterprise is like, Oh God, gee, grandpa. Yeah. Great story. We're trying to work here. Can you just get out from underfoot for one second you know yeah they get over his like wow it's a legendary starfleet officer pretty quick when he tries to help like in engineering yeah uh putting that yeah it's like oh yeah because it's it's even if he wasn't stuck in a a, essentially like a horrific time loop yeah uh for 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 decades um he would have been so out of date in his depth anyway yeah um but like you know, it, it is really sad, and mm. yeah, and like, I don't know. This episode was one of the ones that was going to be on my list too. Again, I love Montgomery Scott; he's one of my favorite. Between him and Bones, they're my favorite characters from the original series, and it was really nice to kind of see him come back. Uh, and it was cool to see a Dyson sphere realized. Yeah. Um, just because that's such a, an old school sci fi concept, and it's just like, oh, okay, uh, we finally get to see what one might might be like potentially. I, I read that Freeman Dyson himself actually watched this episode and kind of like, wow, you guys are taking this idea I had far more seriously than I. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also love at the, you know, at the end of this, the, uh, the bit where, all right, we'll, we'll try and find some way to make Scotty useful. So Jordy's going to have him tag along to get the computers on the Janolan, the ship he was on running again. And you know, just some wonderful bits like, okay, we can get this thing running. And it's like, we just need this piece of techno babble. It's like, you can't do that. And it's like, we'll give you that idea. Well, regulation for, oh, regulation number, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I wrote that regulation. I know it can take it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so his interactions with Jordy are great because Jordy's really not impressed. Yeah. Um, but then I, my, my favorite line from it is you told him he's talking to the, talking to Picard. Tells him exactly how long it's going to take him to fix it. It's yeah. Like, why, would you, why would you tell him that? Like, tell him the actual time. How are you going to get a reputation as a miracle worker? Yeah. You know, if you can't do it in like half the time you say. Yeah. I don't know, just little things like that's fun. I also love when Scotty's on the bridge of the original series. Again, the nostalgia is like, oh, wow, it's that. And then like Picard hangs out with him there. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool way to get him like on the original set. You know, because this is when TNG was kind of in this last couple of years, you know, it had been on, you know, it's a season six of seven. Um, so it's kind of neat to see more 
old like more classic Trek stuff kind of get involved with uh, the next gen crew. First three years or so, there was a distinct uh, orders from the from the suits at the top, where it's like, no, we want the show to stand on its own. We don't want to keep referencing the old series every week, week in and week out. And that's fine. I think it, I think that's good. I think it helped this show to to have its own sense of identity, which is why it's neat to see it clash together. <laughs> And one of the things I'd read is when they get Scotty out of the transporter buffer, that they went to find to the effects. One of the guys uh, had connections at the effects house uh, from the 60s where they had the film uh, of the original 1960s uh, transporter sparkly effect that they dug out of storage to, to get the actual original tapes uh, to use for this episode. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's that and the original sound effect too. Yeah, and like it's cool he's in his in old, you know, we got old uniforms and stuff. I know obviously James Doohan was a little bit longer in the tooth in real life at the time, so it's not like prime Scotty, but you know, we were seeing him in the movies and stuff, so this is still like not unfamiliar Scotty, you know. And another one of those little callbacks, like you were saying, I love is when Scotty goes to the tent oh, yeah. you know. With, with data and they're doing the it is green thing yes which is a reference back to the 60s where they're trying to uh by any other game where the enterprise has been hijacked by powerful aliens who are just you know wearing human bodies for the first time so they figure well the best way to they're not used to being human we know what the weaknesses of a human being are we'll use that against him he's gonna get the one drunk yeah you know, he's just trying to drink one of them under the table and they're just going through every bit of alcohol in his quarters until they're finally it's like anything else well is this what is it it's, it's green green yeah it's it's green yeah uh yeah that's it, that's fun for little fun things like that i love when they do things like that um just in general not necessarily in this episode but i don't know scotty's a lot of fun yeah. So it's he's a little bit he's much more lighthearted than most of the cast. Yeah. TNG, so it's fun to see them play off each other. Um but yeah, uh Relics is a good one. Um like I said, one of my alternates, but then Mike's like, I want to do relics. I was like, that's fine, you can I'll I'll pick <laughs> something else. Um, you know, I'm also, you know, I want to be a nice host and you guys get to pick yeah. what you want to pick. And I also, and just one of my favorite bits from Relics is where, yeah, again, where they're trying to get Scotty's old ship up and running again. And Jordy's like, I don't know how we can do, you know, how that's going to work. And, you know, Scotty all but grabs him by the shoulders and says, I've spent my whole life coming up with crazy ways to do things. I can make, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, just Jordy's so by the book and like Scotty, I mean, you know, he got, he was competent and got the job done, but. He was like a, you know, whatever, whatever you got on hand kind of guy. He and was a better improviser. Scotty wrote the book to stop people from trying the crazy stuff he did on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about like matter, anti-matter reactions, like, oh, my God, this is so, so mind bogglingly dangerous, the stuff that they do. Um, well, let's move on to the next episode. We're in our final three here. Um, Elise is one of yours. Yeah, so my my next two, and I guess I have the last one too, um, are because <clears throat> Defector and the Wounded were taken. So these are like alternatives for me too. So Ship in a Bottle, 
um i thought was so great because of the ending again like kind of like a twist (laughs) like clues um so we start off with um jordy and data in like a the holodeck um doing their own little thing and then um they're noticing like some glitches um i think like he threw like um it was like a matchbox at one of the um like i don't know assimilated characters and um he catches it with his right hand and they notice that that's a glitch so they call reginald barclay to come check it out um and then that's when we see for i think it was the second time we see professor james moriarty right because the first time was in elementary dear data i think yeah that was the first time um so the idea it was oh go ahead just a little side note they were actually supposed to be in the defector uh when they start out on the holodeck doing Shakespeare, they were supposed to be doing data doing Sherlock Holmes again, but they got a letter from uh, the Arthur Conan Doyle estate that said, um, Sherlock Holmes isn't public domain. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so they could not use, they had to leave the thread they started in elementary dear data with Moriarty waiting to find a way out till this episode until they could negotiate a contract for the use of the character again. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, that's really cool. Um, so basically, yeah, Professor James Moriarty is, you know, what what do we call them? Like holodeck holograms? Like yeah, holograms. Yeah, holograms. Um, basically, trying to figure out a way out. Um, and from what we see in the episode, like um, Reginald, like Barclay, like lets him out, and they're trying to figure out a way to like transport him, even though he's not like. I don't know. It, it was just kind of like a mind game because, like, you think um, Beverly Crusher like sees that he is like full, full on a person, um, but in the end, like, I don't know, it's just a big mind game. <laughs> um, do you guys have, uh, have? Did you guys like this episode too? It's okay. I'm not wild about the Moriarty character. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's like Greg's favorite character. In, oh really yeah um it it's okay i mean it's cool that they went back to him uh so since they're like well you're a sentient being now let's just put you in this flash drive and then you know another existential nightmare prison um so it's kind of cool it was a clever way that they were able to like solve their problem with him um where it's he's just like kind of living a, in this simulation like a- yeah, a holodeck program on top of a holodeck program. <laughs> yeah, the holodeck just seems and to be way more trouble than it's worth in general. <laughs> it definitely is. I'm not sure if I if I love or hate the the almost, but not they don't. You know, the card doesn't break the fourth wall at the end. It just sort of gently taps it a little bit. Uh, you know, to just you know say, I mean, it's real. You know whatever he's going through in the simulators is as real to him as, as our lives are to us. I mean, who knows, you know, for all we know, all our adventures could be happening in a little box on someone's table. <laughs> That's like what Picard said at the end, which I loved. It was so playful. And for someone who literally like travels galaxies in this space, like has i'm sure the mentality that everything is infinite so having this like ship in the bottle which refers to um this like what was it like a holodeck program but it was like a bunch stacked on top of each other 
so that it was infinite. That they thought they were leaving the holodeck, but they were still in a program of the ship outside the holodeck that's still the holodeck. Yes, God. It's kind of like when you wake up in a, and you wake up from a dream and realize, no, you're still dreaming. This is this is a, you know this is the, the dream and you wake up again. Right. Um, it was a great ending. Um, and and again, the writing was great. I always love mind games. Um, so Star Trek did a really good job with that episode. So yeah. All right. I'm gonna move on to my final episode here. Um, it's called Tapestry. It's probably. Mm. Well, I mean, it's definitely my top five, which is why we're we're talking about it now. But uh, definitely my favorite Q episode, and it may or may not even be a Q episode because I have a I have a headcanon for this. Um, so essentially, Picard. All right, so established way earlier in the series, Picard has an artificial heart. He lost it in a, a fight with some Nausicans, which are like just an evil mercenary race of aliens. Space uh, orcs, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is, you know, he's having surgery and he's essentially died uh, because of his artificial heart. But Q shows up and gets to kind of do like an it's a wonderful life kind of thing with him. Yeah. But he gets to show him and uh, let him experience because, you know, Picard's like lamenting. He's like, man, I wasted so much time. You know, I died from this stupid accident when I was a stupid, ignorant punk kid. You know, I was fresh out of the academy. I didn't really know what I was doing. And he gives him a chance to kind of like do over. So he puts... Picard back in his body, essentially. He uh, he quantum leaps him into his own self. Um, so, like, everyone sees him as young Picard, but we just see, you know, Picard. You know, current day Patrick Stewart. And, you know, he's with his friends and whatever. So he kind of goes down this different road where he did not go through that fight. Um, and he becomes a much less interesting person. He doesn't take risks. He never progressed much in Starfleet. He's far from captain of the Enterprise. And then he realizes, like, no, it really was. It's a wonderful life. I needed to be that person to grow and become the person I, I am and wanted to be. So he goes back and does the thing and gets stabbed in the heart and then comes back to life. So I like to think this is a near-death experience. And Q never actually showed up. It's just Picard's way of, like, seeing his life before his eyes. Mm. And I – because this is also – this also doesn't have Q in the episode title. Yeah. So um, it's not Tapiscury. Um, <laughs> there is logic in what he says so i i don't know it maybe it is a real q episode even if it is it's still fun um because q is just messing with his whole life now um what does he say he's like the universe is better than this or something like that yeah <laughs> if, yeah who, who appears to him in the white robes and the bright lights and says yes i'm god welcome to the afterlife and picard says i can't imagine the you know the universe is so poorly designed as to be one <laughs> yeah. of you as god <laughs> Oh, it's just the two of them are an old married couple at this point. It's great. Just their bickering and stuff. Waking up in bed next to him. Yeah, waking up in bed next to him is great. That was my favorite. Yeah. It's just um, like I one of those internet reaction gifts now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, my, my roommate's been putting up with me watching Star Trek nonstop. And th- this episode actually was on yesterday. And he, he came in on the scene where, where Picard gets stabbed from the back. And he goes, oh, my God like am i coming into like the episode where the main character dies or is this just like star trek i was like yeah this is just star trek this is star trek yeah <laughs> he'll be okay there's episodes where the enterprise is stuck in like an exploding time loop and they die like 40 million times and they're like we don't even know how many times we've run through this he's yeah dead, dead. Yeah. he's only comic book dead yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah it's kind of like it's you know it's a wonderful life picard i don't know i again it's a very strong character one and i enjoy q i love um, q 
So it, I, I also love in this one the little bit where uh, where Picard, who in having aged up to his current age in the the what if you had never gotten into that fight timeline? He's just like a low level blue shirt. You know, it's like a, he's just a monitor watcher, you know, and it's just so like he wants to and he's asking Riker. It's like, well, you know, I, I think I could I could handle some command level duties. I could I could do that. And Riker just looks at him, it's like, I, I've read your record and I don't see anything in there that yeah. you'd be capable of that. It's Riker being the politest person yeah. in television history. Yeah. Because he talk, walks up to him like they're old friends and stuff. And he's like, who is this guy? Like, I think he is. Yeah. Um, Oh, it, uh, it's so good. Yeah, he realizes like, yeah, you, you, but it's also a good message. Is like, yeah, you make mistakes and stuff growing up, but you make the mistakes, you can learn and grow from them, and you become a better person. Whereas if you just always are, like playing it safe, and I don't know, I, I, I found it. It's just one of those ones that like stuck with me a lot more than a lot of other Picard episodes, uh, you know, over over the years. Um, and with that, Ellie, why don't you give us our last episode for the uh, our last episode for this episode? So, believe it or not, <laughs> um, so I just watched them before we got on here. Um, so, it. yeah, so Lower Decks, um, another alternative pick. Um, so it it was funny because I think early in our conversation, I'm, I'm trying to remember what episode it was. I think we were talking about disaster where like it's like what happened to the rest of the ship right so this kind of um talks about more minor characters like we've seen nurse um what's her name ogawa um working with beverly crusher for um i don't know i guess a couple episodes and then um by this point i think she was on for a while right yeah um and then there's um I'm so bad with the names. There's the Bajoran woman. Um, Jaxa. Yeah, Jaxa. Jaxa. Yeah. Um, and uh, who was in the, uh, on Wesley's uh, flight team in the academy in the first duty a few seasons back? Yeah, that was intense. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and I love that. Like, so she started off as security and like wanted to get a. Pro- so like everyone wants to get a promotion. She went, and Worf was the one who wanted her to get a promotion um so that was kind of i don't know a sweeter side of wharf which we see more of in deep space nine um i mean we see some sweet spots we did help um <laughs> miss o'brien have like give birth um uh, i don't know it was just really cool to see like these minor characters like because they're, they're all over we see them on the <clears throat> on the bridge all the time you know they some a lot of a lot of this in the earlier seasons they would die a lot um but yeah they they even call that chair that data isn't sitting in the death seat the uh, death seat yeah because yep. someone always dies when they're you know on the bridge there when uh data's not there because data has so much plot armor mm-hmm. it's basically what he's made out of <laughs> But yeah, now they have a whole show called Lower Decks, and yeah. I'm terrible. Ah, well, it looks like it. T- I saw the preview. It looks like satire. Yeah, I think if it wasn't, in, I don't know. I, I, I don't like the CBS All Access shows. The very first episode of this whole podcast was me complaining about it. So I don't <laughs> want to tread too much of the same ground. Just know my opinions haven't changed. I, I don't have the, uh, the CBS app streaming service, so. I haven't seen any of it. 
Uh, I mean, I have the first two seasons of Discovery, uh, the Short Treks collection, and the first season of Picard on DVD, but I haven't even taken the pla- out of the plastic yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably during the between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, I think I'm going to fire those up. But, uh, well, I'm, again, sure, I'm sure you'll let me know what you think about them when you see them. Yeah, I would love to hear. I want to watch Picard so bad, but have not had the chance. Yeah. I, I guess <laughs> the biggest thing that I hear most people complaining about Discovery is about how it doesn't fit into the, the canon timeline where they say it's supposed to be between. And I'm just like, <clears throat> you know, I come, you know, I'm a comic book guy. Uh, so I'm sort of coming at this from the same way that I approach, you know, approach the comics it's like you know people who are upset oh the they, they klingons are so different they don't look anything like they did before and they don't act the way they did before. and i'm like dude I, i'm not gonna sit there and insist that you know wayne manor and arkham asylum and the gotham city police headquarters get demolished and rebuilt to radically different architectural plans every few issues when a new artist comes on you just got to accept that's the way this guy draws it and just uh- my biggest problem with Discovery is it's that action blandness and like it's it's the characters are really weak. Um and I, I just think it's a weak show in general. And then it has all that stuff on top of it, because which bothers me more in that show a situation like that, because I'm not I don't have like characters I really like to hang my hat on. I'm not really getting like fun adventures. I don't know. I just the characters need to be there for me to like anything and it's they're not and i don't think they're there in picard i don't think they're there in lower decks i don't know i this just the cbs direction is just not for me so i don't subscribe to it i don't keep watching the shows i'm not that kind of guy like i wrote off the star wars movies in the disney era because i went three in a row i didn't like and i was like all right i'm done this isn't for me um but I'm willing to give Discovery a shot if for no other reason than Doug Jones is just a delight in anything he does. Pretty He's much. easily the best part of it. Yeah. But I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I think setting it that timeline, that time period was a weird idea. I think if they sent it like now, like however many years it's been since, you know, the end uh, of like where we saw Trek. Well, from what I understand now with season three, they're jumped like, almost a thousand years yeah now they're that anyway so they should i think they should just been i think that opens up way more opportunities for storytelling as a fan i'd rather see new things and like oh michael burnham's the adopted sister of spock when we have ratings dip they're just gonna pull spock out of the pocket oh of course they did season two here he is oh you know stuff like that it's just like oh it's i don't know the seneca me is like i see i see the the producers behind it too much which if you watch the opening credits there's like literally like 30 producers mm. so i don't know it's just it feels more like a star trek by committee than like someone who has a story like steve and i were we mentioned earlier mm. one of the main shepherds yeah. of deep space nine and that really felt like there was somebody at the helm mm-hmm. throughout again not a perfect show you know no no none of these shows are but you can tell that there's someone who's kind of like has someone keeping it on the rails or like has a story or characters they want to tell um so there was actually i was reading that um at some point when they were um i think it might might have been like season three four they they asked fans of next gen to 
come up with ideas for episodes and then they actually did some of them hmm. i, I forget which ones yeah i know um the original series people would send in scripts and like some of those people who sent that stuff in became star trek writers oh wow That's on, awesome. like the animated series and, and some other ones i don't know anyone's name offhand um yeah there were there were uh, i think his name was howard weinstein uh who went on to write a buttload of the star trek novels uh yeah. submitted a script to the animated series uh the pirates of orion i believe it was and i know and th- the guy who wrote sharper than a serpent's tooth i think also got it yeah. from fan submission yeah. mm-hmm. I, and, I i'm terrible with names i'm not going to remember their names and if i know uh which call it uh a couple of the ones I've mentioned uh, that I did, like The Defector and Sins of the Father, were written by Ronald D. Moore, who went on to do uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And I know his first script um, was one he sent in because, well, this is it's it's uh, just one that he submitted to them. And I can't remember which one it is, but it's like his first script was was just, you know, I'm dating a, a woman who works at the studio. Can she maybe put the script in front of a in front of the on the producer's desk so they can have a look at it and because i think this was like season two the bonding that was it the bonding it was season two and they're coming in after the writer's strike where it's like they have next to nothing ready to go so they took his uh, his idea and and brought him into and he ended up being on the writing staff uh, until the end yeah i always like hearing stories like that so looking back over the episodes we talked about today, I don't think there's any kind of like clear pattern with like what we think make good episodes or not. I did notice in putting the episodes, my my episodes together, I really like seasons uh, five, four and five. Um, so I guess that's kind of like where the sweet spot of the show was for me. But there's stuff I like in every season, yeah. even season one. Um, but, you know, we want to talk about the ones that we really, really yeah. enjoyed tonight. I mean, we probably could have talked about many more. <laughs> oh, yeah, we definitely could have. This is definitely one we're going to come back to. And I'll invite you, you know, when we do Star Trek episodes again, I'll, I'll invite you guys back. There's a lot of a lot of Trek fans we have that I'm, I'm looking for excuses to have you on. Um, you know, so we just need to think of what the next uh, podcast episode is going to be. Can't, can't Anything Deep Space friends. Nine, let me know. <laughs> I say we did the spoiler-free Deep Space Nine episode. Maybe we'll do one where we get dig into the the characters a little bit and uh, stories a little bit more. But you know, we'll put that on the drawing board. I got the episodes for the rest of this month and uh, for January kind of planned out. But after that, the future's up in the air. So you know, we'll see what we can do. Um, if anyone listening has anything specific they want to hear about, uh, let me know. And if it works out, I can put it together. Um, I, I I do know for the top five Deep Space Nine episodes, I'm calling dibs on Heart of Stone right now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's a good one. So I, I can't. I, oh, it's so hard because it's like because it's more like storylines I really like. And it's hard to pick yeah. out one. I know. Uh, but that's but that's an apples and oranges situation because <coughs> show serialized versus this one, which is episodic. So it's easier to kind of pick out episodes you like a little bit more. Mm. They're not as entwined, as it were. Um, although we did we did talk about some ones that that do do that. Um, but I think that's going to do us for this episode. It's another two hour one. Um, it'd be a little bit less once I edit out some of the pauses and stuff, but, um, yeah, sorry about the trouble. No, no, no. It's all good. I'm sorry about my dog needing my okay. attention constantly. 
Also, um, when Mike was talking in that like commercial went up, it was like I was looking up a quote, and it just like you know how they just pop up really intrusively. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry about that, man. Uh, it happens. Um, I, I usually find when your equipment is misbehaving, I I just channel Davros from Doctor Who. It's like you will obey me. <laughs> it rarely helps, but it's it does it work? <laughs> no, no, but I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I try to do the funds and just hit it and go, hey, because um, I'm such a cool guy. But, you know, I have a Star Trek podcast, so, you know, that shows how cool I actually am, which is super you cool. You are awesome. Yeah. But that was nice talking to you guys again. You know, uh, the reason I do the show is we're all stuck at home and this is a safe way to see yeah. people and chat about things we're interested in. And, you know, hopefully other people like them. Um, and if not, you know, whatever. I'll do this until it's boring for me. Um, so I'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna wrap this up uh, so I can get this edited and scheduled up for Friday. Um, but you guys, yeah, any, gotta, uh, final thoughts? Watch. Final thoughts on TNG? You know, people, watch it. Okay. Yeah. Watch it. it definitely, like I said, the and I'm now after having spent two hours talking about, it, I finally have the words I should have had at the beginning. You know, where I said yes. Classic Trek was always there, and the movies were pretty good, but Next Generation reinvented it to make it a thing where it's like, this isn't just something, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll look at it if it's on, where it's like, no, you you actively want to follow. Yeah, I usually, when people ask me, like, oh, you know, Star Trek is now it's so big, uh, yeah. so many shows, like, people are like, where's Star? I'm like, I'm always like, start season two of Next Generation, it's like, the old show, I love it, but like you need to be like kind of in the mood for like a 60s style show, yeah, uh, because it's got very old school sensibilities. This one's modern enough that I think anyone can kind of get into it, but it's still like that classic trek boldly going where no man's gone before, like episodic adventures, yeah. It, yeah, you, I, I, it, it is questionable how much is to be gained from sticking around for some first season episodes like Code of Honor or Tashiar on the planet of racist stereotypes. Yeah, there's some bad episodes in season one. I'd honestly recommend skipping them. Yeah. You'll pick up on what you need to know, which is just who Chashiar is, just from characters later on. Uh, <laughs> we are an entire planet of black actors in turbans and genie pants, and we just go- drop our jaws at the first sight of uh, of a blonde white woman. Yeah, it's, there's some bad stuff. There's some real racist stuff in the original series. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend there's not. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good note to end this on. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> optimistic future we still haven't conquered racism yes. uh but you know that's no, the fun. future will conquer racism just yeah. you know paramount studios circa 1987 yeah still, it still has to deal with it oh. um, be like star trek we'll be all right <laughs> yeah oh my god we should be so lucky mm. uh, right? to even get to enterprise hey it gets worse <laughs> before it gets better even, yeah, yeah. so and- I, it, things I was looking at because I was going to talk about another episode with Harry if we ever get back to hailing frequencies. Yeah, I know um, he's been just so busy like, in real life. But it's like there's, you know, somebody, you know, there's, it's an episode about terrorism and, you know, uh, the high ground. And, doc, you know, Dr. Crusher is basically saying, look, I, I don't, he's talking, he pulls out a lot of, you know, boiler, the terrorist character pulls out a lot of boilerplate nonsense that it's like anybody who's remotely thinking can see well, that's just self-serving nonsense but you know the, the the trying to justify why the federation is behaving the way it does 
know, Dr. Crusher doesn't really have an answer. And I'm realizing that's because the Federation itself was not designed with an answer as to how to get to that. It's like, yeah, they don't have terrorism because they don't have any of the root causes of terrorism, like, like poverty and, or, and strife, because it was written to not have those from the start. And there's never really been a good explanation of how we get from where we are now with all of these problems to this idealized future where nobody even thinks about the kind of problems that would cause issues like hunger and famine and terrorism. Um, when, you know, again, it was basically uh, uh, the closest to an explanation we've ever gotten is during Enterprise, which is supposed to be about fleshing out how that happens when it's based seems to pretty much be uh the vulcans were snotty and condescending to us for 50 years so we became better people out of spite to prove them wrong i mean whatever gets you there yeah um now that's one of the things i was really excited about with enterprise they started really getting into that and they're like oops over um, yeah. like that's you know that's unexplored territory with star trek i want some yeah. i want some new stuff i think that was my biggest problem with voyager it's like oh this is just the worst version of the next generation i don't need this with and then like I, the- I didn't even and then again i don't really like the borg and then that just becomes what that's all about and i'm like all right i don't care um <laughs> but again you know we're leaving it on a positive note next yeah. generation is really good even though there's tons of episodes we could have talked about that we did not um, so this is more like a kind of a sampling, like a sampler platter yeah. of the next generation. If any of these sounded remotely interesting, one of the strengths of the show is you can kind of just go on Netflix and just grab that episode um, and, and then, check it out for yourself. And then if you like what you what you see, keep going. Um, oh my god! Because once you get to Deep Space Nine, you really fall in love. <laughs> yeah, but Deep Space Nine, I think you really is it's better if you have watched TNG and you kind of know right. the universe a little bit more. Yeah. rewards that because uh, it's not going to take your tent that's not going to help you explain any of the stuff that they do in the in tng um but yeah so i guess we'll that we'll sign out um uh our topic next week we're gonna be talking about christmas specials and then uh i have a christmas special for you guys after that um i'm gonna be recording all of that this coming weekend um looking forward to doing that uh so until next time stay safe out there <laughs>